Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, let's get into the Word. Take out something to write with if you got something to take notes. Grab a Bible. Uh, I think the content today is going to help us. Uh, I'm really, really, really excited to share it with you. Uh, the first service uh, seemed to, to resonate well with it, so I'm excited to share it with you as well. Uh, we started a series last week entitled Rhythm is Gonna Get You, uh, as prophesied by the great prophet Gloria Estefan in uh, 1987. Uh, and I discovered this week, by the way, if you didn't know, um, Gloria Estefan is not an original artist. She's a ripoff artist. Uh, because as I was walking into a grocery store on Wednesday, I I heard the song start playing and I'm like, Lord, is that you? We started a series and you're speaking to me through the speakers of the grocery store. And as the song kept playing, I realized, wait a minute, this is not Gloria. This is the goat himself. This is Michael Jackson. And it was a song called Want to Be Starting Something, okay? And that was from 1982. So five years prior, if you go back and listen to Michael's song, here's what you'll realize. The The horn parts and everything are exactly the same. So she's just a wannabe, all right? She's just trying to rip off Michael Jackson. All right, we all know who the real goat is. Thank you. All right, I got one Michael Jackson fan. Anyway, what was I saying? We started a new series. It was called Rhythm is Gonna Get You. Uh, And uh, the subtitle of this series is something that I think all of us need in our life, and that is restoring life's cadence. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time today and you were not here last week, let me give you a definition for rhythm so that we're all on the same page. Uh, As we're going to be discussing it uh, this week and in the weeks to come, rhythm is a strong, regular, repeated pattern in our lives. A strong, regular, repeated pattern. And I think all of us could agree, as a result of the last seven months, those strong, regular patterns in our lives have been completely destroyed. Everything that we knew as normal has been thrown out the window. And I'm not just talking about the regular, normal day-to-day stuff, like you're, you know, you're waking up early and going to work and dropping off the kids and all, all the normal stuff. In fact, I discovered this last week that even sleep patterns have been completely thrown off during COVID. I read an article that said 70% of Americans have said that their sleep patterns have been thrown off as a result of the last seven months, which is just crazy to me that most of us are not sleeping well. But I, we're not talking about all of those normal things as though although those are important for us to get back in rhythm and do those things, but we're talking about our spiritual rhythms, the day-to-day relationship with Jesus, those things as people of the kingdom that we're supposed to have as natural, normal patterns in our life. And so last week, we talked about restoring the rhythm of pressing in the spirit, this idea that we're not gonna just sit back and take what's happening to us, but that God has called us to be those who press through. When we're pressed on, we press back. We press through in the spirit. We looked at the book of Philippians where the apostle Paul said, "Uh, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And this one thing I do, I forget what's behind me and I press on to lay hold of the prize, which is that I've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. We talked about the fact that every single one of us has a plan and a purpose on our lives. That God has called us not to just wait for that to show up, but to aggressively pursue that purpose. And in the process of pursuing that purpose, regardless of what we see with our eyes in the natural, no matter how bad it gets here, we are supposed to keep our eyes heavenward. We're supposed to remind ourselves that we're not living for a pleasurable existence here on earth, but we are living for eternity. And that one day we're gonna stand before Jesus and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Step into the joy that's been set before you. That's what we're living for. So we're pressing on towards those things. That's a rhythm that God has called us to. Uh, But today, I want to talk about another rhythm that I think we need to have established in our spiritual lives. And uh, if you have never established this before, then then perhaps today's a good day for you. But many of us have maybe let this one fall off by the wayside as a result of the last seven months. And that is this. Today, I want to talk to you about the rhythm of repentance. 
And that's about the response I expected when I said that, yeah. <laughs> no one's like, woo! You know, we didn't like put that on social media and broadcast it because most of you would have stayed home if we said we were talking about repentance. It's kind of a weird word in, in Christendom, right? Like it has a bit of a weird connotation. When you think of the word repentance, all of us have a picture of that angry guy yelling and screaming in the streets with a cardboard sign that says repent for the end is near. And he's got a bullhorn and he's, you know, got a Southern accent. You're all going to hell if you, you know, and it's, that's, that's a picture that we have in our minds. This idea that, that like God is ticked and humanity better sort itself out and we need to clean ourselves up and dust ourselves off and fix the way we're living because if we don't, then it's hell for all of us. That's kind of the picture that, that we have in our heads when we hear the word repent. But not only is that a really bad definition for the word, it paints God in an incredibly inaccurate light. We do not serve a God that's up in heaven shaking his fist down at humanity saying you better figure it out. No, we serve a loving God. We serve a father who has adopted us into his family. And so I think as we talk about restoring this rhythm of repentance, it's imperative that we get the right definition so that we can apply it to our lives correctly. So let me give you a biblical definition for repentance. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, the biblical definition for repentance is a change of direction. That's simple, a change of direction. It's this idea that my life was heading one way, my decisions, my actions, my thoughts, I was heading in a direction that was leading me away from Christ, but upon revelation of his love and revelation of his goodness, I stopped going one direction, not the band, I turned around and I began to walk towards Jesus. I was going this way, I was doing this thing, but when I realized that what I was doing was wrong, I turned around and I headed back towards Jesus. That's it. Not an angry guy with a bullhorn, just simply turning our lives around and facing Jesus again. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that definition, I realize that I need to have a repetition, a rhythm of repentance in my life. I know some of you all are super, super holy, all right? I get it. Like, you watch only Christian movies with Kirk Cameron, you listen to Caleb, you know, when you're feeling a little bit carnal, you know, you turn on the Hallmark Channel and you drink some Diet Coke and you stay up till 11 o'clock at night. Like, I know how you are, okay? But for the rest of us normal people, <laughs> we need to repent a little bit in our life. We often make some bad decisions. We often screw up and have to realize, oh, God, okay, God, I, I need to turn back and head towards your direction. And so for all of us jacked up people in the room and those watching online today, uh, if you are in that kind of a situation on a regular basis like me, this sermon is for us, all right? We're gonna work on this one together. For the rest of you guys, you can, you know, scroll Kirk Cameron's Instagram for the next couple minutes and sort it out. But we're gonna talk about repentance. And if you're taking notes, let me give you a title for this chat. I'm so excited about this title, guys. You know how much I love titles. We're calling this Shame Off You. Shame Off You. Come on, isn't that good? Isn't that good? Let's pray and we're gonna get into this. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you that every time we go to it, you promise that it will cut between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit and it'll get right to the heart of where we're living. The word says that the Bible never returns void. Every time your word goes out, God, it accomplishes what you intend for it to accomplish. So today, we open up our hearts to receive from you. If you're here this, this morning and maybe you've been kind of shut off from God for a little while in your life, just consciously right now, just say, God, I open up my heart to receive from you. I want your word to mess with me a little bit today. Speak to us and change us before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. All right, for those watching online and for those in the room, a couple questions for you. How many parents do I have here today? If you're a parent, you can put it up there in the chat. Yeah, okay, good. Hands down, hands down. Now, for all of you parents who just lifted your hand, honest answer, ready? How many of you lie to your children? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got all five hands and toes up here. Okay, that's great. 
Okay, let me rephrase that question because some of you are being honest and Jesus knows. Um, how many of you ever told your child something that was untrue in an effort to get them to act a certain way or do something, all right? Okay, now the honesty comes back. Okay, now we're talking. Yeah, as parents, um, it's kind of like second nature to lie to your children. It's like they teach you that in parenting class. Like, we, we tell our children a bunch of random things that are not necessarily true to try to get them to do what we want them to do. And, and many of us as kids, we don't even realize that we're being lied to until we get older and we discover the truth of what our parents have actually told us. My parents are here in the room today. I know that you were honest people, so this has nothing to do with you, okay, just to be clear. But let me, let me try out a couple of these statements that maybe parents have thrown out there. Anyone's parents ever told them that if you swallow gum, it's gonna sit in your stomach for seven years? You heard that one before? Yeah, not true. <laughs> not true at all. If you swallow gum, it actually digests just like regular food. You know, you can get rid of it in a couple of days. Or how about this one? And not as popular anymore. It used to be popular back in the day. Um, if you make that face for too long, it'll stay that way. You, you heard that one? Yeah, we've heard that one. Or my personal favorite, um, if you pee in the pool, the water around you will turn green and everybody will know that you peed in the pool. Has anyone heard that one before? <laughs> yeah, not true. I proved it just a couple of weeks ago. I'm just kidding, no. Uh, my, <laughs> my kids discovered that one was not true very quickly. Yeah, we, we say all kinds of things to our kids to try to get them to not do certain things. They're not ill-intended statements, right? Like, we're not saying that to be mean to our children, but we don't want them to pee in the pool. We don't want to make faces at strangers. We don't want them to swallow their gum. And so we tell them what we think they need to hear, whether it's true or not, so that we can modify their behavior. The information is for the intention of modifying behavior. Well, I think that we also have some of those statements in the church world. I think we have some of these, these little white lies that we tell in an effort to adjust the way people live their lives. They're not ill-intended. Maybe we've even adopted them as our own truth because we've heard them so often, but however well-intended or frequently used they are, they're still just not true. For example, uh, anyone ever heard, um, God will never give you more than you can handle? Not true, not in the Bible. God will often give you more than you can handle so that you can learn to rely on him and not on your own strength. Or how about uh, God helps those who help themselves? Opposite of the gospel, not anywhere in the Bible. You can look for it until you're blue in the face. It will not be found. And then there's, then there's this statement, and I've heard this statement many times, and many of you have heard it, and perhaps you've adopted it as well. And for the next couple of moments, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rustle some feathers as I, as I aggressively attack a statement that many of us have adopted as truth. Here it is, ready? Sin separates us from God. Anyone ever heard that one before? Yeah. Sin separates us from God. And it seems logical, right? Like it seems like it makes sense because we know that God doesn't like sin. And if we believe that God exists, we want to be close to God. And so naturally, if I wanna be close to God, I shouldn't do the very thing that he doesn't like. And so I'm gonna try to get this out of my life. And we tell ourselves that sin separates us from God because if we do believe that, then by fear, we're gonna keep ourselves right and, and be able to draw close to God. But I hate to tell you, it's just like peeing in the pool or gum in the stomach, it's just not true. And I can, I can see the look on some of your faces right now because you've been in church for a little while and you're like, you're the real deal and you're judging me even as I say that. You're like, okay, okay, youngster, let me tell you how it really is, okay? And some of you are logging off, but listen, before you log off and before you pick up your bags and leave, let's talk about it a little bit, shall we? Let's, let's, let's debate. Sin separates me from God. In other words, where sin is present, God is not. In other words, any life, any city, any situation where sin exists, 
And God is somehow not interested in being present in the middle of that. Furthermore, if that statement is true, it suggests that every time I sin and you sin, which we all do proficiently, that God removes himself from our life. He separates himself from us until such a time where we can learn how to clean up our act and act right, and then we can be close to him again. Sin separates. Now, that might have been true before Jesus. That might have been true in the Old Testament. If you go back and read through uh, the, the, the old school books of the Bible, here's what you'll find. Sin did separate God from his people. Time and time again, he tried to draw, draw close to them and they would turn their backs on him. They would sin and he would disappear and then they'd kind of do this dance back and forth over and over and over again. Until Isaiah 59, it says that because of their sin, God turned his face from them and they turned their backs on him and they were separated from God. And that's where that concept comes, comes from, Isaiah 59. But all of that changed when Jesus showed up on the scene. Come on, all that changed when God sent his one and only son to deal once and for all with the separation between him and humanity. He didn't send Jesus to reiterate the old truth of the Old Testament. He sent Jesus to restore a broken relationship with humanity that couldn't figure out how to get their act together and was always separated from them, yet he longed to be in relationship with them so that he sent his son to pay the price for their sin. Sin can't separate with Jesus. Think about it. who did Jesus hang around all the time? Sinners. Who did he graft into his multi-level marketing scheme of, of, of peddling the gospel? A bunch of disciples. Who were they? Sinners. And who did he give his life for on a cross once and for all to tear the veil so that his presence could be accessed not by the religious elite that could figure out how to get their life together, but by whosoever would call upon the name of Jesus. He gave his life for sinners. It seems as though Jesus spent a whole lot of time around the presence of sin. He didn't remove himself or separate himself from it. He was all up in its business. <laughs> and so yes, it is true that sin did once separate humanity from God. And it is true that for everyone in this planet who is not yet called upon the name of Jesus, they are separated from God because of their sin. But the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you invited the Holy Spirit to come into your life, there is now nothing that can separate you from the presence of God, period. Let me back that up theologically with scripture. Ephesians chapter three, here's what it says. Or excuse me, chapter two, verse three. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us from the dead. Once you were far away, once you were separated from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you used to be separated, but now you've been brought close because of his blood. And just in case someone's wondering like, well, yeah, it says that we used to live that way, right? So what happens if we still live that way? What if we still fall into sin? What if we find ourselves failing? Surely if we fail, then God will separate himself from us again, right? No, 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 no. You have a covenant relationship with God. You are a child of the most high God. To suggest that now when I sin, I am separated from God is as if to say that when my wife and I get into an argument, we are no longer married. <laughs> we have made a covenant relationship, a covenant commitment to one another. And when you said yes to Jesus, his blood began to run through your veins. His DNA is now on the inside of you and there is nothing that can separate you from his presence. Romans 8, chapter one, there is now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything else in all of creation can separate the children of God from the Father himself because of the shed blood of Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. How many of you grateful today that you serve a God who has brought you close regardless of what our lives look like? Yes, sin no longer separates the Christian. Now, Theologically, that's true. That is sound theology. But if you have been walking this journey of faith for any length of time, you probably know by now but that experientially, there might be a bit of a, a gap there. Because <laughs> it's easy to believe that sin does not separate me from God. But often when I sin, I feel far from God. <laughs> Don't we? One might say that it feels like my sin separates me from God. That's a question begs to be asked. If sin does not separate me from God, then why do I feel separated from God when I sin? A good question. While sin cannot separate you, there is an S word that can. And by nature, the title of this sermon, we're gonna spend the next couple of moments talking about it. And that word is the ever-present enemy of shame. Sin can't separate. Shame can Shame is the aftermath of sin. Shame is, that, shame is that thing that we all begin to feel in the, the moments following our failure. And when shame begins to settle in, although God doesn't dismiss himself from us, we can tend to separate ourselves from him because of our shame. I'll say it like this. Sin can't separate, but shame can isolate. And we have all felt the isolating power of shame before. We've all felt that weight begin to rest on our spirit when we blow it, when we do that thing that we told God we would never do again, when our failure just seems to rattle around in our, our brains and we can't seem to shake it. And suddenly we hear those famous three words that we've all heard over and over again, shame on you. We all know what that feels like. And we kind of feel like we deserve it, don't we? Like, I blew it, God's angry, this is, this is my lot in life. This is, this is my payback. As if God is sitting up there trying to figure out new retributive ways to make you feel really, really small. I deserve this, this is how I'm supposed to feel. But what if I told you today that shame was never God's methodology to bring you back? <laughs> What if I told you that shame was never his ploy to make you feel guilty enough or sorry enough that you try to clean yourself up and come crawling back into his presence in hopes that he would accept you? In fact, what if I told you today that shame was nothing more than a time-tested strategy of Satan himself to drive a wedge between you and God in hopes that you would keep yourself at a distance no matter how much God wants to be close to you? In fact, it is, my friends, the oldest trick in the book. Let me prove it. Genesis chapter one, come back to the beginning with me for a moment. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and chief among his creation was us. It was humanity, Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that when he created man and woman, that they lived in unbroken intimacy with God. He would come and he would walk among the garden of Eden with them. They would talk day in, day out. There was, there was nothing holding back their relationship. Sin had not entered the equation. 
They were able to live in this unbroken relationship, this beautiful, uh, heaven-picturesque relationship with God. In fact, it says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says that now the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, they were both naked and they felt no shame. That's a good verse to get tattooed on your body if you're interested. They were naked and they felt no shame. And this is not just some like, you know, statement of confidence about how they looked in their birthday suit. Like, yeah, not at all. This is a statement of intimacy. This is a statement of being. What this scripture tells us is that Adam and Eve were fully exposed There was nothing to hide between them and each other and them and God. And they were able to live fully exposed before God and say, I have nothing that's keeping me from relationship with you. Beautiful, perfect, unbroken unity. But but all of that changed literally the next verse. Literally the next verse in the scripture when Satan shows up and he begins to ask this question of Eve. He says in Genesis 3 verse 1, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it or else you're gonna die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God, I always pictured Satan talking like that. Maybe a little list because he was a snake, right? You won't die, you know. (laughs) He knows that you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil if you eat it. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband and that idiot ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and what? And they suddenly felt shame. Genesis 2.25, they were naked and they felt no shame. And just a couple of verses later, their eyes were opened and they felt Shame. The moment sin entered the equation, the moment sin entered humanity, Adam and Eve invited in this ever-present enemy that we have had to deal with ever since. Shame. Shame began to settle in on them. And when they felt shame, guess what they did? The same thing that all of us do. They began to isolate themselves. Look what it says in the next verse. Verse eight, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, hey, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. I heard you trying to come close. I heard you trying to to find us, and so I hid. Keep that on the screen for just a moment. Can Can I just peel back the curtain in the spirit? Can we all see this for what it is? The same old strategy that many of us have fallen for time and time and time again. There it is right there. Temptation leads to sin and sin leads to shame. And when shame begins to settle in, it starts whispering to you, you're a failure. You you always fail. It's only a matter of time before you do it again. You might be free now for two months, but just, just you wait, you're gonna fall. You remember how much of a failure you are. You remember that you always fall into that trap and shame begins to settle in. And every time God tries to get close, every time you try to lift your hands in worship, every time you try to open the word, every time you try to pray, it's like this shame is nagging at you and keeping you far from God, saying, don't you dare draw close to him. God doesn't want anything to do with someone like you. And when the shame settles in, what do we do? We run and we hide. It's, it's the same cycle. You, you think that we would know better by now. 
It's literally been happening for thousands of years. And yet we buy into that bait over and over and over again. It seems like it's a strong, repeated pattern in our lives. It's like a rhythm, isn't it? Every time I sin, I feel that shame. And there is my rhythm. A rhythm that's got you. And a rhythm that keeps you at a distance from God. But in the name of Jesus, we are gonna break that rhythm today. In the name of Jesus, we are putting to death that same old tired strategy that the enemy has been using against you for years. And if sin does not separate me from God, I am not going to separate myself from a God that is trying to draw close to me. And the only way to break that rhythm is to establish a new one. It's time to establish a new rhythm in the spirit and that is the rhythm of repentance. If sin isolates me, if shame isolates me, then I'm gonna learn how to get into this rhythm of repentance that restores my relationship with God. And if you're taking notes, here's the rhythm. We're gonna keep it super simple. Cookies on the bottom shelf today, all right? Here it is. Here's the rhythm. Repent quickly and repent often. That's simple. Repent quickly and repent often. Repent quickly. Let me hit the first one. Time is not your friend when it comes to sin. The longer you wait, the further you're gonna get from God. I know this lie in your head that many of us have bought into that says, okay, if I just give God a little bit of time to cool off, I know he's a little angry right now, so you know, I'll, let him, I'll let him cool off a little bit and maybe I'll give myself some time to get over the shame and you know, try to figure it out, then I can come close. No, it never works like that. As someone who's tried it 100,000 times, let me just tell you, it never works like that. The longer you wait, the more that shame begins to settle in on your spirit and the more you isolate yourself from God. And please do not buy into the lie that if you take a little bit of time to yourself and figure out how to find freedom apart from God and clean yourself up and dust yourself off and, and then present yourself once again, see God, I figured it out. That is straight from the pit of hell. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ and it belongs nowhere in the lifestyle of a believer. That is not how this thing is supposed to work. No, repent quickly, immediately. The second you sin, the second you blow it, the moment you're done, you're like, oh, what did I do? That is your invitation to repent. What is repent again? It's to turn away from where I was heading and to turn back towards God. That is your moment to face God. Not for judgment. Not because he's shaking his fist and saying, all right, come on back, we're gonna deal with, no. So that he can forgive you right then and there. Do not wait. If you blow it, just, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I, I know I've fallen a dozen times in this area, a hundred times in this area, but would you forgive me? Hebrews 4 says that I can come boldly before your throne of grace to obtain mercy when I need it most. When do I need it most? I need it most right now because I just failed. So please give me your mercy, give me your grace. Forgive me of my sin so that I can be close to you. It's that simple. It's not hard. Do not keep yourself at a distance from a God that so desperately wants to be close to you. He's already predetermined to forgive. When he asked Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know. <laughs> Come on, he's God. He knew where they were at. They weren't playing hide and seek, all right? He's omniscient, he knows everything. He knows when you sin. He's omnipresent. He was right there when you did it. Sorry if that freaks you out a little bit. <laughs> he's asking, hey, where are you? Because he's searching for you. He wants to be close to you. 
Just repent quickly. Get it over with. Quick like a band-aid. Done. Now, repent quickly. And secondly, repent often. Repent often. Now, I know by nature of that statement, it seems redundant. And if I'm repenting quickly, then obviously I'm repenting often, right? So what do you mean here? Uh, Let me explain. I think there's a second layer, a second level of repentance that God invites us into so that our relationship is never destroyed with him. The Bible talks of two different kinds of sin, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Sins of commission are simply the ones that you're aware of. Like I did it, I get it, I, I failed, I'm an idiot, Ah, I know that I did wrong. But then there's a second kind of sin that the Bible speaks of, and those are the sins of omission. Those things that you weren't even aware of that you did. Whether it was the way you spoke to somebody, you hurt that person, you offended God, whatever the case might be. And because he loves us, and because he doesn't want to leave any open doors for the enemy to begin to heap shame on us, he gives us this invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal those areas that may need to be called out that we weren't even aware of. Knowing that they might lead us in the future farther away from him, he says, I wanna deal with that thing right now. I think that we all need a regular rhythm in our life of repenting for those things we don't even know we did. These moments where we just sit in the presence of God and we say, God, could you bring to mind right now anything that that I I just don't even know exists but is keeping me at a distance? I, I don't want this. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak. I'll give you the verse that I normally pray out. Psalms chapter 139. I try to do this on a regular basis. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then look at this. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, search me, know me. If there's anything in me that I've done, anything anything that I've done that offends your heart, I, I don't want that in there. I repent of that and I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna turn around. I wanna repent and walk in your direction. Lead me in the way that is everlasting. I do this all the time. I just sit in my office. I pray this prayer and I just wait. Holy Spirit, is there anything you wanna say to me right now? Is there anything you wanna bring to mind? And sometimes there's nothing. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> High five, you know. But often he's like, hey, um, remember the way you talk to your kids? Remember that thing you said to that person? Remember the way you treated your wife? Yeah, we we can't have that. I love you too much to let that remain in your life. So I'm calling it out. I'm letting it bubble to the surface so that you can repent of it and we can be done with it. He loves you. He loves you too much to leave open doors in your life to the enemy to mess with you. And so if we will make a rhythm of just coming before him on a regular basis, a daily discipline, and just say, search me, God, he will be faithful to call out those things that could destroy your life later on down the road because he loves you. Repent quickly and repent often. Come on, say it with me. Repent quickly and repent often. Not like you mean it. Repent quickly, repent often. I believe if we will do these two simple things, if we will establish these rhythms in our life, Listen, the enemy will never have a foothold of shame in your life. The enemy will never be able to pour that shame over your life and you wear it where you feel ashamed to even come close to God because you'll deal with it before you ever have to feel it. If we will establish that rhythm, listen to me, it will go from shame on you to shame off of you in Jesus' name because that is God's will and his intention for your life. It's not complicated. And here's why, and I'll invite the band to come as we conclude with this. 
The reason it goes from shame on you to shame off you is because only repentance has the power to deal with the stain that comes from shame. The stain that comes from shame. Let me, let me elaborate. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. These are the words of God. He says, come close and let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. What a beautiful scripture. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they're like crimson, I will make you white as snow. Scarlet and, and crimson in ancient biblical times were a type of dye. And uh, as gross as it is, uh, they were made of ground up worms. And once they ground up the worms, they would create this, this natural dye that you could take a white garment and place it inside of there. And once the dye began to set into the fabric of your garment, it was considered permanent. You could not wash it out. It was the most effective way to dye a garment. Yet God says here to his people in Isaiah chapter one, I know that you think that that stain is permanent. I know you think it's set and it cannot be removed, but I actually have the ability to take what looks permanent and to remove it completely. I have the ability to take what looks scarlet and crimson and to make it as white as snow, as if it never happened in the first place. But there is a prerequisite. There's something you gotta do. And if you're willing to do this, that's, this is what I will do for you. Two words he starts the scripture out with. You have to come close. Come close and then I'll deal with the crimson and the scarlet. Come close, repent. Do not keep yourself at a distance. Do not stay away from me, but turn and face me and draw close to me. And if you will come close, I will do what looks impossible. I will take that permanent stain of shame in your life and I will make it white as snow. I, um, I like to wear white. It's one of my favorite colors. I'm pretty monochromatic in my fashion. I have black, white, gray. I'm a very simple man when it comes to my clothing. Uh, and I, I don't know, I like white for a lot of reasons. I think I have a really great skin tone and so it just looks good on me. Um, I didn't get to wear it at my wedding, only my wife did. Uh, I always feel like I'm on vacation when I wear white. Anyone else feel that way when you wear it? You're like, yeah, I'm on a boat. You know, I don't know, it just feels, it feels good. And we didn't go on vacation in COVID, so I wear a lot of white right now. Um, but I, uh, I, have, I have a problem and that is, um, I tend to stain most of my white shirts. I spill on myself all the time. Uh, whether it's coffee or dressing or oil or whatever, I, I, I always seem to stain my shirts. And my wife can testify, I, I, I always come to her. We get home from a restaurant, we get home from being out, and I'm like, babe, I, I'm sorry, I stained my shirt again, can you get this out? And, and she assures me 90% of the time, she's like, yes, I can get the stain out. I don't know how to do my own laundry because I'm an infant apparently, so she has to take care of it for me, it's great. But every once in a while, there will be a stain in one of my shirts that can't come out, a stain that sets, and it's there for good. And I don't know if I hold on to my clothes too long or what, but occasionally I'll take one of those white shirts out and I'll put it on and I'll walk out of the, the bedroom and my wife will look at me and she'll point at the stain that's on the shirt. And she's like, what's, what's that from? Where'd you get that? And like a shamed child, I hang my head low and I'm like, well, you see what happened was, and then I begin to tell her about the spill, the stain, the moment where that thing hit my shirt and I made the mistake. That's how shame works. Shame is a stain. 
it's a constant reminder of where you failed. It's that voice in your head that begins to rehearse the past, begins to rehearse the situation you find yourself in. And shame begins to settle in and set in our lives. And when we sin, it's like we're staining our lives. And often when we look down at ourselves, we feel ashamed at what we've done. And when we see the stain, we say to ourselves, okay, God can't want anything to do with someone like me based on what I've done. And so, you know what we do? We run and we hide. We, we do what Adam and Eve did. We cover ourselves up. God, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna come before your presence because I don't wanna have that conversation. Just like I don't like talking to my wife about the way I stained my shirt. I don't wanna come before you and hear, hear you say those things like, you, you really, you, you still, you're still falling into that one. You did it again. You blew it again. I'm so ashamed of you. Shame on you. That's where our heads go, isn't it? We think that that's what God is waiting to say to us just waiting to point the finger and tell us all that we need to hear about why we, why we should hate ourselves and feel ashamed of what we've done. But, but Isaiah says that there is a better way. Isaiah says that that's actually not what God is waiting to do. Isaiah says, if you will just come close, if you won't stay at a distance, but if you will if you'll begin to turn your attention, even from that place of hiding, and you'll begin to say things like 1 John 1, 9, says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. Psalms chapter 19, how can I know all the wickedness that runs around in my heart? Cleanse me from my hidden ways and keep me from deliberate sins. And then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great shame. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalms chapter 32 says, when I kept silent, it was like sin began to waste away in my bones. But when I opened up my mouth to the Lord and I confessed my sin and he came and he washed it all away and he removed even the guilt of my sin. When I begin to turn my attention back to God and I begin to simply repent for my sins, it's like suddenly all of the stain and all of the ink and all of the shame that I used to walk with, it disappears in the presence of God. And all that's left is the water from the magic trick that I just did. <laughs> Come on, this is the power of repentance. This is the power of refusing to keep yourself in the dark but to walk in the light as he is in the light, to come close to a God who loves you and is not waiting to judge you, but is waiting to wrap his arms around you. And when your voice and every other voice is saying, shame on you, he is saying, shame off you, son. Shame off you, daughter. I have washed you, I have cleansed you, and you are white as snow in my presence. If you will simply commit to that rhythm, the rhythm of repentance, Shame won't have any chance to settle in on you. It'll be shame off you from this day forward. Repent quickly, repent often. Come close and let him wash you white as snow. Amen? Come on, amen? He's good. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment in the room? And for those watching online, you can do so as well. I'm gonna make a very simple invitation. 
I wanna pray with those today that would say, I currently feel like there is some distance between me and God. I hear what you're saying, that sin can't separate me from God, but I feel separated from God right now. And I know it's because I haven't chosen to make Jesus Lord of my life. I haven't come close to Him as that scripture told me to do. I wanna give you an opportunity to come close to God today. And listen to me, you don't come close when you get your stuff together. You don't come close after you jumped through all the hoops and figured your life out. You come close in your brokenness and you let Him wash you. And the gospel is simple. If you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, you're gonna be saved, it's that simple. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room and even for those watching online today, if you would say, I feel like I'm at a distance from God and I do not wanna stay there. I need to get things right with Him before I leave this place. No one's looking around, it's between you and God, but I just wanna see who I'm praying with. Would you quickly lift your hand and look up at me so that I could pray with you today? Thank you, I got you right there, sweetheart. Yeah, right there. Yes, right there in the back. Online, if there's a button popping up, you can click on that right now as well. It says, raise your hand. Anybody else before we pray? Awesome. I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. The words are not important, the condition of your heart is, but as I pray this today, just repeat it in your heart after me, and there will no longer be a distance between you and God. You'll be close again today. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you. I repent of my sin. I stop walking in the direction I was heading and I turn and I walk back towards you today. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that you're willing to deal with the shame and wash it away. And that as I come close to you, the promise of your word is that I'll be made white as snow. So wash me today, cleanse me today. Help me to be your disciple and to walk in your ways from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for those who lifted their hand here in the room and those online? Oh, come on, heaven's doing some backflips. We can do a little better than that. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, um, we are incredibly passionate here at the Father's House about helping you take your very next steps. We don't want you to pray a prayer and move on with life. We really wanna help you on this journey so you can get started strong. A couple of things to be aware of. Uh, as you, if you click that button online, the raise your hand button, there's a little sheet popping up where you can get a little information uh, to us about yourself. If you're here in the room, uh, you can use your phone to scan that QR code. You can text TFHSF to 97,000 or you can head back to the connect table. Same thing, we're gonna get a little bit of information about you as you made that decision, but it's for a purpose. We wanna get a Bible in your hand. We wanna tell you about a group that meets digitally every week called First 40. We're gonna teach you how to read that Bible, how to pray, how to take these next steps on the journey of faith. And most importantly, we're gonna teach you about what Desiree did today, water baptism, and how you can experience the supernatural power of dying to the old you and coming up out of those waters as a brand new creation during one of our weekend services. So if you, if you prayed that prayer, please take advantage of those next steps. For the rest of us, uh, would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna have our prayer team come down to the front. If you need prayer for anything today before you leave, please come this way. Otherwise, for the rest of you guys, thank you so much for coming to church. Have an amazing Sunday, and we'll be back again live and in person next week. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.